Great stuff. I want to just uh, share something the Lord put on my heart for tonight, and then we want to pray for people. And uh, I'm just amazed that you uh, prophesy how uh, related it is to what I'm going to share. When you, you hear what I'm going to share, you think, well, must have got together, I reckon. I planned that one. But uh, we didn't, actually. <laughs> and uh, I only knew just a short time before the meeting that's what God wanted to do. So, praise the Lord. In fact, actually, I had two messages of mine. And, and I was weighing it up, weighing it up, thinking, no, that's where to go. And then they started to prophesy. And uh, some of the things that he shared, uh, I just felt were just really what God's on tonight. So sometimes God speaks just individually to people, and they get a, a prophetic word. And uh, it's wonderful if you get that prophetic word. And, but if you're here and perhaps there wasn't that someone prayed and laid hands and brought a prophetic word over you, nevertheless, you can, as you hear a word, you say, oh, my God, that's for me too. And reach out in your spirit and take hold of it and say, God, that's for me. Don't leave me out of this. I believe that's a word into my heart. I witness to that. I believe that's for me too. And same with preaching the word. You're fine with preaching a message. But in it, God will say something to you. And what he says to you, he says, that's for me. That's the part you take hold of. And you've got to ask yourself, what must I do in the light of what I heard? What do I need to do in the light of what I heard? It's wonderful to pray and prophesy over people. It blesses and builds them. But... Always, well, God, what do I do? How do I move forward? Anyway, I want you to have a look with me in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And I want to speak on the lost axe head. And I believe there are many here tonight, God wants to stir you again to regain a cutting edge of God's work in your life. And you'll see in the story here, it's a story of restoration. And it's also a story of legacy and inheritance. So uh, verse, chapter 1, chapter 6, verse 1 of 2 Kings. And it says, The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place we dwell with you is too small for us. So please let us go to Jordan, let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And he answered them and said, Go. So we need to see that Elijah has just ascended into heaven. A double portion has come upon Elisha, and there's been a season where Elisha had a servant, and that servant naturally would have received a legacy of inheritance. One of the things you find in the Bible, it's much easier to get a legacy and get wealthy by getting an inheritance from someone else than it is to have to earn it all yourself. Much easier if someone leaves you money than if you have to try and get it all yourself. It's a lot easier. It's actually very, very wonderful. So the Bible tells us Christ died for us, and we have an inheritance. But we have to take hold of it and make it our own. So in the story with Elijah, Elijah was taken up to heaven, and Elisha has served like a son with his father. And because he served him over a period of time, was faithful over a period of time, there came a time when a double portion of anointing came on him. And so he began to flow in the same anointing as Elijah, but there was a greater a manifestation of it. In fact, he did twice the number of miracles. And we notice now that the servant that followed Elisha has failed. And the reason he failed was he failed the character and integrity test. If we expect and want God to work in our life and want to see God use us powerfully, we have to develop an integrity, purity of heart and motive. And so what happened was Elisha brought healing to the Syrian, the Syrian uh, commander, and he wouldn't take any money off him 
But Gehazi, the servant, went, and he said, well, this guy's rich and wealthy and given us a hard time. He wasn't to get some money out of him. It's not a miracle. You know, he would have died. You know, he owes us. So he had a, almost like a sense of entitlement. Uh, uh, well, this guy's, the prophets let him off too easily. But Elisha worked differently, had a different mindset. He understood that when God does great miracles, he also establishes relationships that are important for the next season in your life. And you must ensure you never have a wrong motive in those relationships. Otherwise, you can't advance. And what happened in this situation? He had a strategic relationship with the second in command in Syria, which was hostile to Israel at that time. There was a wonderful relationship built, and now the man was indebted to him. And the reason he took no money, most likely, is this. He wanted to have that connection where if he ever needed to, he could call on him and talk and interact with him. He now had access to a very high place. I have access to people in some extremely high places in Asia. One of the things I had to commit to was never ask them for anything. Never ask for anything. I've been with some of the most wealthy people in the world. I never asked them for anything or even hint that there might be a need because it would defile the relationship. What is needed is to know that you have a pure heart towards them because they live in a world where everyone's out to get them. They live in a world where everyone's out to take them down, rip them off, get something from them, where basically people see someone, how can I use you to get me ahead? And that's the spirit of slavery, and, and it's the spirit of a servant to operate like that. And so when we work with them, we take no money. We just, actually, just whatever we do, we do for free. In fact, I've got one friend who's a pastor over there, and one of these businessmen said, look, I'd like you to work for me and be pastor to all my business. And uh, he said, I'll make it worth your while. And he said, this is what I'll pay you. Two million US dollars a year if you will just be a pastor for me and for my firm. And I, because I'm a mentor to this person, I said to him, well, that's a great challenge for you, isn't it? You're going to have to go away and pray and think about that one, aren't you? He didn't tell his wife, though, which was quite a good thing in the situation. But he came back and he said, I've decided not to take it. I said, that's a good decision. I said, if you had taken it, you would have lost your authority. You would have lost your ability to speak into his life. You'd have lost his abil your ability to influence him. You would have become one of the hired servants, and everyone in his organization would treat you like you are a hired servant. And the guy got an enormous shock. No one has ever turned him down ever before, especially not with two million US a year. You think, well, maybe one million. I work for six months. <laughs> But it, this is what I'm telling you. It's the principles of purity of heart. We have to learn how to walk in integrity in the ministry. If you want God to gift you and to work powerfully in your life, develop a pure heart. Develop a heart that loves God and loves people and doesn't use them to get something. Doesn't use people to get you ahead. What you do is you serve people and God gets you ahead. If you think people can get you ahead, you're mistaken. It's God who promotes, God who lifts us up. Most people will pull, push you down, ones above you will push you down, ones below you will pull you down. But if God is promoting you, then nothing can hold you back. But part of that is we have to learn integrity. We have to learn to walk with a pure spirit, not look to try and what can I get out of you. That's the spirit of the world. And that's what happened to Gehazi, and the result of it was he got leprosy. So now there's a great opening. Who will be the next generation 
that will carry the move of God. Who will be the next generation that will arise and learn the ways of the Spirit and be discipled into the supernatural and carry a move of God to touch their generation? You've got to remember the times were very difficult. Jezebel ruled. She had killed all the prophets. So if you said, well, I said, what are you? What's your ministry? He said, I'm a prophet. Well, that was a sure death sentence. And in fact, she went through the land. Everyone she found was a prophet. She killed them. And one of the servants saved about a hundred of them. Now, you notice that the people the story starts with, these are sons of the prophets. So these are people whose fathers were involved in prophetic ministry, and they had a legacy and an inheritance of prophetic anointing. With some of them, they would have suffered too. Their fathers would have been killed and murdered in front of them. But these young men, for a season, were quite resistant to walking with Elisha. In fact, when they saw Elijah cross the, cross the river, they knew what was going to happen, but they never pursued him. Elisha was different. He pursued Elijah, and the mantle on Elijah came on him. Now, this story opens up with the sons of the prophets. So these are people who have a prophetic legacy that's available to them. Prophetic gift's an amazing gift. A revelation gift enables you to see into the realm of the Spirit, enables you to flow in deliverance, enables you to flow in bringing words of destiny, encouragement to people. It is an amazing gift. And these were the sons of the prophets. So they learned and were flowing in a gift. So they committed themselves to train. If you really want to become something, you have to learn how to serve and become a builder. So they came and served Elisha. Why did they do that? Because they saw Elisha served Elijah, and then he came forth with a double portion mantle. And when they looked at it, they said, we see that this is the only hope for our nation. There's a fresh move of God. And we stood back and weren't part of what Elijah was doing. But now we're going to be a part of what God is doing now. So these young prophets committed themselves to come and live and serve and to be taught. They were teachable. So one, they were faithful. Two, they were teachable. And the word son means literally this. When we think of a son, we think someone's a natural Uh, a natural descendant, but in the Bible, the word son means a builder. So when it says the sons of the prophets, it means these are builders of that whole legacy. These are people that will build and carry what the father had before them. So whenever the Bible is talking about a son, a son is always a builder. Jesus was a builder. Even naturally, he was a carpenter. He was a builder. The Bible says he was faithful over his father's house. He was a builder of lives, a builder of people. So we see, firstly, they had a legacy that they were, could draw from, and therefore it would be easy for them to come into the prophetic. Secondly, they were builders. They were people who built. If you want to be part of what God is doing, you must commit to building. You must commit to building lives. No prophetic ministry is free to just run around and do what they want. Every person who carries an anointing of God is for an assignment of building people. The anointing is for an assignment. The anointing of God is to build. Firstly, to build you. And secondly, to build up people. So God anoints you. He has in mind people who need what you have. There are people sitting here tonight, and someone needs what you have. 
They need the experience you've had in God. They need the experience you've learned over years walking with Him. Or they need your passion and your zeal. They need someone who will share what God has done for me. And so we see in the story, notice what they said. The house we're living in is too small without growing it. In other words, there was a gathering of prophetic people. There were a gathering, there were a drawing of people because they saw that the supernatural was the only way the country and the nation would be saved. They saw that unless God raised up a generation who could move in power, move in the supernatural, there would be nothing change. So they committed themselves to serve. And of course, as more and more gathered, the little house they were living in, they just outgrew it. You can imagine them there all jam-packed, sleeping on the floor, sleeping wherever they could, and eventually they come and they point out the obvious to Elisha, this place is too small, we need to build something bigger. And this is really what's in the heart of God. No matter what size any church is in, in, in Napier Hastings, God wants it to be built. He wants people to be added. He wants people to be built. He wants to build His house. God's desire is to touch our city and touch our nation. God's desire is that people become builders. That's the difference between a pastoral church in operation and a prophetic or apostolic church. Apostolic church is committed to train people to be builders. God wants builders, not people that just sit and enjoy messages, people that enjoy the anointing and the feelings of God and enjoy someone else preparing an atmosphere of worship. God is wanting builders. Builders, people will say, God, here am I, use me, God, anoint me, God, shape me, God, fill me, God, take my life, I want to make a difference. God is looking for such people. And wherever I go, I find young people all over the world and older people, and God is inspiring them to do something to reach their generation. This generation will be reached, not by me, it'll be reached by you. Be reached by the younger ones. It'll be reached by people sitting here, people that catch a passion for Jesus and start to get their eyes off themselves and saying, well, this is too small for us. We need to build. This is too small for us. We need to build. We need to reach people, gather people, befriend people, pray for people, and see them saved, added in, and disciple to become builders in the house of God. There is a desperate need. It's no use complaining about what you see in the papers, about homosexual laws being changed and this and that. People tend to look and complain. Listen, none of that will do any good. Get on your knees and pray and say, God, use me to change some lives. Use me to carry a message. Birth a message in me that I can have something to say. Most messages are not just something you get out of the Bible. They're more than that. It's when the Word gets in you and it changes your life, you become a living message. God wants you to be a living message, a living message, carrying His Word, carrying His life. So they went out to build. You read the story there. They're all, this guy's got an axe. It's not his own axe. It's a borrowed axe. And he goes out, and they're all chopping. They're all participating together in the harvest. They're all participating in chopping down the trees. And one of them comes to Elisha and says, Alas, Something terrible's happened. The axe head has come off my axe, and it's gone in the river. And it's not mine. It was a borrowed axe. Now, many of these stories have just a natural application, of course. He just lost an axe, and the, and the prophet got it back for him with a miracle. But there's something more in it than that. 
you can't chop down trees unless you have an axe. Nice, you've got a chainsaw, but in those days they used an axe. So you're putting yourself back there. The axe was the instrument they would use to cut down the tree. Axe has a wooden handle. It has a iron uh, blade, a cutting blade, and it also has a little wedge that holds it on. And notice this. The word always in the Bible speaks of human effort. So human effort has to be applied. No one comes to Christ without a human being getting involved, reaching them. No one gets changed or gets delivered unless some person goes to them. Jesus didn't build a big building. He didn't build a big school. He built a handful of people and empowered them and put an axe in their hand called the Holy Ghost and anointing of the Spirit of God and said, go out and make disciples. Go out and change the world. Teaching them to obey. So the axe, the blade of the axe, the cutting edge, is the power of God in our life. Only by the power of God are people convicted and changed. Only by the Spirit of God do people get born again. Only by the Spirit of God do people get delivered. Only by the Spirit of God can people be healed. Only by the Spirit of God do people get breakthroughs. It's only by the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus said, don't you leave on your mission, don't leave on your assignment until the power of God has come on you. And they waited and they prayed in the New Testament until the Holy Ghost came on them. Then they went and everyone had an axe in his hand. You read the first day, Peter, with one axe, 3,000 people saved. See what the power of God can do. But imagine no axe head. You can't cut anything down if you haven't got an axe head. The axe head speaks of the anointing, the power, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and through you. If you don't connect with God and His power, it's hard to live the Christian life and it's impossible really to be successful in changing lives. We need the person and power of the Holy Spirit. So when he lost the axe head, there were two issues. Number one, he had no power to cut anymore. He could pretend. It doesn't take long to realize that, yeah, you're doing a lot of work and you get nowhere. That's what working in the flesh and the strength of your abilities gets. You work hard, but it's all a struggle. You're struggling against sin, struggle in your finance, struggle in relationships, struggle here, struggle there. Everything's a struggle. Why? What you've lost is a cutting edge. Lost the anointing of the Holy Ghost, the presence of God in your life that makes a difference. We need that. We need that. We need that Holy Ghost. It's so important. Jesus said you can't even begin your ministry unless you have the Holy Ghost. And I'm not talking about a one-off experience. You need to keep the anointing attached to your life. You need to keep the presence of God on your life. So the axe head is kept on by a little wedge. You drive that wedge in, it pushes the wood apart, and then it holds the axe head on. If you've ever had an axe with a loose head on it, and you know it's a very dangerous thing to have. You swing it around, next thing that axe head flies off, someone's going to get hurt. I can remember when I was growing up, I had a, a little kid's hammer, a very small hammer, and it wasn't well, the head wasn't well fastened on. I was swinging it around, and the head came off and hit my grandfather in the forehead. I can still remember that to this day, the look of horror on my face as I saw blood coming down from here. 
he'd been hit with the, with the metal edge. They're very dangerous without that keeping in place. So God requires that we maintain relationship with Him. Relationship. Intimacy that leads to obedience. You can pray and worship Him, but if there's no outworking of surrender to do what He wants, then the accent won't stay in place. So I've learned it's through surrender to worship and then obey the Lord, it keeps the anointing on your life. And it's obeying them in the little things. The wedge on an axe is a very small thing. It's almost so small, you, could, couldn't, you may not even notice that it was running loose. Because compared to the head and all the rest of it, it doesn't seem like anything. And so God will speak to you about prayer time. He'll speak to you about relationship with Him. He'll speak to you about looking into His Word. He'll speak to you about what He wants you to stop doing, what He wants you to start doing. He speaks about lots of little things in life, about your attitude, about all those little things. Keep and maintain the accent in your life. And if you're faithful with what you have, God enlarges the accent, enlarges your ability, enlarges your capacity. So he cried out, I've lost it. So the first thing was, he lost it because he didn't maintain the wedge. The second thing is that caused him great grief was it was borrowed. didn't belong to him. And what I've learned is this. You can be in a church in a, in a, and where there's a flow of anointing and borrow the anointing that's in the house. In other words, if you come into a prophetic church, you can start to catch the anointing in there Hear the Word of God start to flow easily in prophetic gifts. Come into a house where there's deliverance. You can start to pick it up and work with what God is doing there. Why? Because if you're a son of the house, it is your inheritance. It's your right to take hold of it. So if you go into church, which is uh, the main anointing is for salvation, you'll find very quickly you're feeling drawn and passionate about seeing souls saved. Go into pastoral church. You'll feel very good about getting into small groups and gathering here, gathering there. But God wants us to become aware of the harvest, become aware of the need to build lives. In the New Testament says, all may prophesy. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, now the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man, every person, every person. Every person. And, what, and then, in case you didn't know what that meant, he said, well, that means prophesying, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healings, deliverances, uh, speaking in tongues, and interpretation in tongues. These are supernatural things. And he said, God gives it to everyone. So when did you last operate in one of the gifts? When did you last flow in one of the gifts of the Spirit? When did you last prophesy? When did you last get a word of knowledge? When did you last pray for someone and they were healed? When did you last hear something fresh from God? When did you last manifest something of the Holy Spirit? In other words, you started to operate supernaturally. When did you do that? When did you do that? And if it's been some time, you've lost your exit. Your exit is lost. You've lost the cutting edge, either because you've lost the touch of God in your life or because you're not there where you need to be cutting down the trees. Think about it. So many people come and enjoy church and ministry, but they don't kind of catch, God wants me to be a minister of the Spirit. He wants me to touch lives. 
He wants me to bring His presence wherever I go. He wants to bring a flavor of love and life and the fruit of His Spirit. He wants me to reach and touch lives, help people. He wants me to have a cutting-edge influence wherever I am. When people talk about you, do they talk about your character and the quality of your life? Do they see something in you which is wonderful and they say, I'd like that? Or do they see it's just a mess? And you need to get your life straightened up and in touch and connected to God. You don't have to have your life together for God to use you. But if you're walking with Him, God expects you to change on the way. So don't ever think you've got to wait till you get everything together. God just wants you to be available. So how do people lose the cutting edge? How is it they lose that sense of God working through them? It's no longer happening like it did. It's a good question to ask. I found it helps when you're reading the Word if you ask questions. How did he lose that access? And secondly, how did he get it back? If the anointing is God's presence working through me, how can that be lost? And more importantly, how can I get that back? If you read in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, Paul is writing to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you've lost your cutting edge. He put it this way. Timothy, stir up the gift of God inside you, for God has not given you a spirit of fear. In other words, he's saying, the gift that once functioned isn't function. It's your responsibility to do what's needed so the gift flows. Your cutting edge has got back. He said, fear is your problem. Fear will cause you to lose the edge of faith and draw back. The places you fear to go, the things you fear to do, will cause you to become blunt and lose your edge. Another thing that can cause us to lose the cutting edge is when we are discouraged. Discouragement in life If you don't face it honestly and deal with it properly and biblically, discouragement will cause you to draw back, and then you lose your cutting edge. Disappointment will cause you to draw back. If you've been disappointed at some time, it's very easy to lose our trust in God and draw back. The moment your confidence in God is diminished, you draw back and lose some of the cutting edge in your life. Offenses can cause us to draw back. We can become offended by people. We can become offended at the way people responded. We did this and did that, and then they didn't respond like we thought. Could be someone you helped out, or it could be a leader you served. Doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the package is. The issue's still the same. It's an offense. And offenses will cause us to stumble, and we lose the cutting edge of God's presence. Bitterness will cause you to lose the cutting edge of God's presence. In Ephesians 4.30, 29, it says, don't speak corrupt words, but speak words that bless and build people. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So in other words, we listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Is there a river that's building, blessing, encouraging, and people come away from you and they're excited, they're lifted up, they're built up? Or do you pour out the woes and problems and negatives of life and they come away and they're really overwhelmed by what's going on in your life? Overcome it so you have something to give. So wherever you are, people are glad to see you because you bring something. Or they're scared of you because you bring something. Doesn't really matter so long as people respond some way. 
If they totally ignore you, then there's nothing, nothing going on there. I go to some places and they're terrified of me. They just flee. They run away. In fact, I was just talking to some guys the other day and they said, oh, well, when you came, I made sure. One of the guys told me, he said, I made sure never to look in your eyes. I said, I didn't know that. He said, yeah. He said, all the time you were there, I just made a decision not to ever look in your eyes. I said, why on earth would you do that? He said, I was scared. I said, what on earth were you scared of? And, uh, and he realized, of course, actually needed deliverance. That's why he was scared. There was something in him that was reacting because of the presence of God. It's the presence of God people are concerned about. To want to carry that presence, a loving, sweet presence, but a powerful presence. Eh? Neglect of our relationship with God can cause you to lose your cutting edge. You just stop praying, stop connecting, you lose your cutting edge. You just lose it. Now, you don't even notice you're losing it. Then one day you realize, actually, it's been months since I did anything. It's been months since I stepped out and prayed for anyone. Months since I actually felt the presence of God touch my life. Months since I reached out and shared with someone or invited someone to church or, or, or tried to do anything to build the house of God. Every believer is called to be a builder. Every believer is called to be a builder. In fact, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, after it talks about uh, every person can operate in the gifts of the Spirit, it then exhorts us all to excel in building. Excel in building up people. So that person next to you, God wants them built up. God wants you built up. And so he gives you a gift of the Holy Ghost so you can build yourself up, so you can build up others. So we exercise the gift of tongues. We exercise our ability to speak to build ourselves. We spend time in the Word of God to build ourselves. So we have something to take and give to others. You carry something inside you. And I felt tonight as I was praying that God is saying there's a new generation arising that are hungry for the supernatural and want a cutting edge in their life. They want the cutting edge of the supernatural. They want the cutting edge of God. Now, there is a price to pay for it. It's called obedience, surrender. It comes under those kind of names. It's actually about not doing your own thing, but letting Christ become central in your life. It's not a burden to do it. In fact, actually, it leads to great joy, great peace, and great fruit. Every person's called a believer. But every, not every believer doesn't build. See, so every Christian... It's a Christian because of faith in Christ. But that's not where, that's where you start. God says, be a builder. Be a builder of lives. Find out where he wants you to build. Put your hand to the plow and build. And in all your building, make sure you keep your cutting edge. Now, I felt this some tonight, that God wants to fire you up so you have a fresh touch over, his, over your life. I felt there's others here, and you can think of a definite point where you were hurt, you were knocked, you come under spiritual attack, you were disappointed, discouraged, something happened, someone betrayed you. Really, it's irrelevant in some sense what's happened. What really counts is whether you'll do what it takes to get the cutting edge back. It doesn't really matter whether it was someone betrayed you or let you down. What really matters is whether you can get up again. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, the Lord will lift him up again. So wherever you are tonight, God wants to lift you up. Lift you up, strengthen you. Have you sinned and failed? Well, go on, get up there and come back to the cross. You notice how the miracle took place. There are two parts to it. Number one, the prophet, representing the Lord, he, he, he cut down a stick and he threw the stick into the water. Now, whenever you hear a stick or wood, 
Often in the Bible, it's symbolic of, of the cross of Christ. Moses was shown a tree. He cut it down. He threw the tree in the waters, and the bitter water becomes sweet. It's a picture of the cross of Christ, which will turn the bitterness in our life into sweetness as we become healed by him. But in this story, he, he, saw a, he, he picked up a stick, and he threw it in the water, and miraculously and supernaturally by the power of God, the axe head joined onto the stick, and it floated. Now, you all know iron doesn't float, so there's a miracle taking place. There's a miracle taking So the first part of all restoration is to come back to the cross, come back to the cross of Christ, to come back to what He's done for us, come back for His love for us, come back for how the price He's paid to redeem us. Where either we've failed or hurt, whatever's happened, the cross is the power of God to heal and to free you Bring whatever you've got and let it go at the cross and make that decision. You'll come out in resurrection life. But here's the second part. The, the prophet never picked it up himself. He said to the young man, he said, you stretch out your hand and you pick it up. So God required him to do something in order for the axe to be restored to him. He had to stretch out and reach in and apply himself to pick up the axe. Now, I saw an interesting thing happen while I was away. I, uh, we prayed for hundreds of people, and I was at the end of a meeting, and, and this lady came up, and she, she obviously couldn't speak English. Uh, she obviously had a problem with her shoulder. She was Vietnamese. And, uh, and she, her shoulder was distorted somehow. It, just, it looked like the shoulder was a bit forward. And she came forward, and it was hard to tell what she wanted. I figured she wanted healing. And so... I just laid my hands on it and prayed for her, and I was about to move on. But there was a young man there. He was a young man, and he got caught up with this. And this is what he did. He grabbed her two hands, and he put them together in front. And when, when he put them in front, there was more than an inch, more than an inch in difference between the two hands. It's like one was really quite a long way out. It was so far out, you could literally see it like that. And when he did that, I, I, I thought, is she not healed yet? I'll pray again. So I prayed again, just laid my hands and prayed, commanded the infirmity to go, and commanded the, the hands or the arms to come into alignment. And I was, willing, I was happy to walk away again. And he said, no, let's have a look. And he got the lady's hands up. And he said, look. And the space had gone. It was half as big as it was before. And he was shocked. I said, okay. I prayed one more time. He grabbed the lady's hands, put them together, got her to hold them out like that, and there they were. The two were exactly right. His shoulder was completely free. So it, amazing. It's just wonderful to see it. But here's the thing. It was the young man. He was the one. He was reaching out for the miracle. He was the one reaching out, determined to see something happen. There was a hunger in him for the supernatural, a hunger to see the power of God. And he wasn't just going to accept just seeing, I prayed for her. He wanted to see the miracle, wanted the breakthrough to take place and persevered until we got it. And I, I found as I was thinking about that, God doesn't want you just to hear about it. He wants you to participate in working with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to participate. So tonight if you're here and if you have once walked in the things of the Spirit and you've lost your edge, lost whatever it is you've lost, you've lost your confidence the fear or disappointment, whatever, the prophet said to him, where did you lose it? Where did you lose that touch with God? 
Where did you lose that presence of God? Where did you lose that edge in the anointing and flowing and doing things for God? Where did it go? It went at a certain time when something began to happen. So he took him right to that place. And then the tree, and then he reached out, and the miracle. So tonight I, I felt this. I felt there's some who once moved much with God, but something caused you to draw back. Tonight, I want you to make a decision. Identify where you lost it. Identify where you drew back. And tonight, reach out for God to restore you and cause your accent to come again in your life. Start to pray again like you used to pray. Reach out like you used to reach out. Move to pray, minister to people like you used to do. Start to stretch again in the things of God and become a builder again. You'll find the power of God will start to flow again. There's others have never experienced that. And tonight, God wants to use you. He wants to touch your life, wants to anoint you. But your part is to say, God, I want to be a builder. I want to walk with you and build lives. Use me to help people. I want to be teachable in your eyes and your hands. I want, Lord, to be an extension of you. So, Lord, teach me so I may walk with you and be a builder of people. You don't know what person it is that has the potential to be the greatest builder. I had a friend of mine ran a Bible school, and he said, you know, I said, well, who, who, who really impressed you? He said, well, it was in Indonesia, and we had a lot of people turn up in the Bible school. We had one guy arrived a day late. So the school had opened. We're already a day late. And I said, uh, what happened? He said, well, the guy had to walk three days to get to the Bible school. Three days. He said, yeah, yeah, he lived out in the country. In fact, he had no clothes on either. He just had a loincloth. And he walked three days to get to the Bible school. And uh, he finally arrived at the Bible school, and he could hardly speak the language. So we had to kind of have extra help all the way through. But he said he loved it all, learned all he could, and then we laid hands on him and sent him out. And about a year later, we had a check on all the Bible school students, and he was the one who had planted the most churches. Everywhere he went, the supernatural flowed. Everywhere he went, the paragraph flowed. And he was the least likely in the whole school to do something like that. If you looked around, you'd say there'd be nothing good come out of that. Instead, he was the main one. He was their chief planter, and to this day, he's continued to produce fruit. Isn't that amazing? You never know who God will use. I pray, we're with one other guy we prayed for who's also become a great church planter, and he was kidnapped. He was kidnapped by communist rebels, and they took him into the jungle, and he was separated from his wife for 20 years. 20 years he lived with them, and they did tax on military convoys, and he had to, he, there was no way he could escape. He was in danger all the time, and so he was there for 20 years with these rebels, in the, in the back parts of Indonesia. And what happened was, he found an opportunity to break away one day. And he broke away, and he managed to elude them. They tried to chase him down. They couldn't find him. He just hid in the jungle. Then he gradually made his way. He got his way back to his home. And when he came to his home, 20 years later, his wife was still waiting for him. She had never married anyone else. She'd become a Christian, and God spoke to her. He'd restore the marriage. And so she held on to the miracle in her heart. And one day, 20 years later, after praying 20 years, God came. The man came home, and his wife was there to meet him. I've been praying for you. She would got saved, become a Christian, and believe for her husband to be restored. And where did I meet them? Well, I met them both in Bible school. And, you know, he must have been, I suppose, somewhere around about 50, and his wife would have been about the same. You know, some of the best years of his life, 
was spent with all these guerrillas and terrorists learning these things. And now he had given his life to serve God. He said, I want to make the rest of my life count for the kingdom of God. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people like that here tonight. You want to make your life count for the kingdom. If you've lost your touch, where did you lose it? Why don't we make a decision tonight to say, God, I want to respond to you. I want that restored. And if you're a person who's never experienced the touch of God, why don't you say, well, God, touch me tonight. I want to be available for you to use. Say amen to that. I'll give you a chance to respond in a moment. I just want to just pray for a few people. Phil, quickly come up. Yes. Oh, yes, you need to come too, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm just so thrilled to see you on the stage today playing. I was worshiping and I thought, I can hear a flute. I can hear a flute. And I thought, I wonder if Joe's got the thing on flute. And I looked over, no, I can still hear him playing the strings. Then I look up, there you are. Good on you. Well done. Well done. It's awesome to see you back. And you're flowing and you're gifting it. It was lovely to hear. It's just absolutely magnificent. Just come over here. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this beautiful couple. I thank you for your hand upon their lives. I thank you, Lord, for you are restoring, Angie, restoring, Phil, restoring to them the joy of their salvation and restoring them into the fullness of the ministry you have for them. Lord, today, I pray for a new anointing to come on their life. I pray for the power of God to flow in them and through them. Phil, God says this is a new day for you. It's a day of stepping forward again. It's a day of stepping out again. There's a pastoral gift and call, and there's a prophetic anointing that you function in in times past. There are times when you prayed for people. You've seen the presence of God touch them. You've seen the power of God touch them. And many things happened. Your life got thrown into turmoil as the enemy came against you, seeking to destroy the call, everything that was of value to you. But God says that call has never changed. The call is still on you, and my anointing returns to you in a new measure. You will arise again. You'll begin to share with people, interact with people, bring healing to people, minister prophetically, and in revelation to people. The Lord says His anointing is restoring to your life in a whole new measure of confidence and faith. Father, today in Jesus' name, I just break reproach. I break every spirit of reproach and release boldness and confidence. Got some Holy Ghost tonight in Jesus' name. Angie, the Lord says, you can bury all the old stuff. It's a new day for you. It's a totally new day for you. God has removed the shame, the reproach. He sees your heart, your passion, your desire for the young ones, your desire for ministry to bring the gospel to those in difficult places, to bring the gospel to those who are broken. And the Lord says, prepare yourself for there shall be again a launching into new fields to minister to people, to break open lives, to see the power of God touch them, deliver them, and heal them. God has brought enlargement to you. You've started to understand things you never realized before. You start to understand Luke 4.18, and that will become a theme in your life. You'll be able to say, I have walked in that myself. God has restored me. He has saved me. He's healed me, delivered me, opened my eyes, set me free, and now I walk in new freedom and liberty. Father, touch her. Let a spirit of worship and prophetic come around her life now. In Jesus' name, just come upon her powerfully in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can I just pray for you? Just come. I just see God saying that you're a restorer of broken lives. 
restorer of broken hearts, a restorer of broken lives. You get what brokenness is like. You get how, how it can easily, people can dig a hole and find themselves in a place where it's just, you can't see any way out. And even when you look up, it looks dark. And the Lord says, I've, you've walked through many, many things, but the Lord says, I am causing you to come forth with a ministry of healing, ministry of deliverance, ministry to proclaim the gospel to those who are broken, to gather the brokenhearted, heal the broken families, heal the broken lives. I cause fresh power to flow into your life, a fresh authority to flow in your life, fresh miracles will flow in your life. I see the Lord opening up for you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. God has opened up doors that previously had been closed. And, and, and I see you sort of praying because God's put certain people on your heart and the Lord says, keep holding them before me. The door is going to swing wide open, and you start to see people harvested. You're going to see people near to you, people you love, people that have been struggling. They'll come. They'll come, and they'll be restored. And you're going to see people that you've never met, but word will go out that there's a presence of God around you. There's an anointing of God on you. God is giving you a boldness and an authority. You will speak to the brokenhearted and you'll speak boldly. No longer will you be intimidated. No longer will you be fearful because you see right through all of that stuff, that image, that thing that people put up, and I see you looking right through it and becoming incredibly bold to declare God's Word. Father, release a fresh anointing tonight. Let your power just come. Come upon her right now, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Touch of God. Touch of God. God's power is here to touch people tonight. I just think tonight's a great night for us to get back in the Holy Ghost again. Let the Spirit of God come around our lives. I want to pray for people who have, who for you, when I shared about the lost accent, you felt, man, that's me. I lost that edge, and I know where it is. I felt God immediately remind me where it went. It went at a certain time. Something got too much for you. Something overwhelmed you. Something got on top of you. You say, God, tonight I believe for it to come back. If you could do that for that young man, you'll do that for me too. I believe tonight you'll restore that edge in my life. So there are several people here tonight that know that at a certain point, you lost that fire, you lost that cut, you lost that flow of power, and you say, God, tonight I want it back. Tonight I'm coming and rededicating my life to you, and I'm going to bring this failure, this disappointment to the cross so I can be set free. Who are those people? Just come now. There's about half a dozen people at least. I know that just, you need to come. You know that was you tonight that God was speaking about. And there's a disappointment. Sometimes it's people and family. Sometimes we feel God let us down. Sometimes we believe for things and never seem to happen. So you have this kind of stuff gets around you. Devil loves to steal your destiny. Loves to steal from you what God had planned for you. If he can, he'll keep us in bondage. So why don't we lift our hands up now and let's just begin to worship God. Churches begin to speak in tongues, speak in the Spirit. It's believe for the power of God to come, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow.